Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Warmest regards, everyone, and welcome back to Talking Ship, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. And if you're just joining us this season for this particular couple, I'm Megan Fitzgerald, and this is Talking Ship, where we discuss and dissect famous couples from television who, you know, we understand, we understand that they are not real, but we take the very real themes and conflicts and lessons from these fictional relationships and talk about how we apply them to our non fictional lives. So if you're brand new, Welcome. And if you're returning, welcome back. In either way, I am so excited to introduce you to this season's co host. He is one of my favorite people to discuss non fictional people with. I think we do it quite well. I'm hoping that we're just as good at talking about fictional people. So you may know him from Cursed Web Series on Sika TV or The 2019 downtown production of Phoenix, Arizona, 1997. (laughs) You know him, you love him. If you don't know him, you know him now. It's J.P. Maddock. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, as like a frequent contributor to the online Reddit forums for this show, it is an honor to be representing the community. And I just want to make a shout out to at shits out of luck. Your fan theories are garbage, but I'm here for your memes. So keep them coming. And I yield my time. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much for um, bringing that community to the podcast. Yeah, it's a really uh, underground community. <laughs> so uh, as JP just mentioned, via yeah. Shits Out of Luck, we are here this season to talk about Shits Creek and the one, the only, the ones, the only is David and Patrick. So um, if you don't watch Shits Creek, thanks for being here anyways. <laughs> but if you don't watch Shits Creek, you're really missing out. Yeah, I, like what are you doing? What are you watching? Like, Tell me what you're tell watching. Tell me what you're watching. Because you're maybe I should be watching that because Shits Creek is done. I mean, not it's not canceled. It's just it ended. It, it ended. It ended, but it, I think it's going to become one of the shows that's like a really classic, comforting rewatch. Do you think it'll get a reboot? A reboot? Yeah, like years from <laughs> years now. Years later. I hope so. I hope the fan community is that strong. Me too. That we get ourselves a reboot. I think it could be. Did you uh, watch you watch the documentary? They have events and shows. I know they, they have like they went on tour. They went, yeah, they like did what Schitt's TV Creek show Live. does that? The town that they filmed this in renamed parts of the town Shits really? Creek. Like the baseball team there is like now like Shits Creek Lions or something like that. That's so cute. I totally made up the Lions, but it <laughs> is real. So all that to say, Shits Creek is powerful. We obviously feel that you should watch it. I actually caught on to the show pretty, pretty late. I watched it on Netflix, like most people, and not uh, pop TV, as I am not Canadian. Pop, 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 Or cool. But I had heard people talk about the show for so long, and I knew it had these comedy legends in it, and I knew just from the title and the cast members that it was super funny and super fun. What I did not expect when I started watching it is to suddenly find myself crying over turns of phrases characters use because suddenly you see how much growth they've shown. And I did not expect these very sophisticated, like well-plotted, coming-of-age storylines. And I did not 
expect this gorgeous love story between David and Patrick. So in so many ways, this show snuck up on me. And I think it's kind of fitting because I think that's a bit what this love story is all about, too, because I don't think David or Patrick were looking for love. And I don't think they are at all what the other person thought they would end up with. Yeah, especially on Patrick's case. Well, yeah, for a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons. But we'll get into it. Yeah. But I think what's really beautiful about this story and why I wanted to talk about it is I think it's a really beautiful love story about a lot of things. But for me, a lot of it is about you know, rising to the occasion when you do find that person and learning to open yourself up to that experience or open yourself up to romance in general, especially when you weren't expecting it. I mean, so it's funny because I actually caught on to Schitt's Creek super early because because you're so cool. I know. I actually I auditioned for it and I got really far in the process. I got screen tested, but, you know, they went with Dan Levy. So (laughs) I mean, that's, like, not true whatsoever, and I just, like, what if I just, like, came in here and was fully just, like, right off the bat with all these false stories and trying to make this whole podcast about myself and being like, well, when I play David. Yeah, you're really making such a great impression. I'm going to need you to um, save the cat a bit more, JP. You have 10 pages to make this audience root for you. Root for me. (laughs) I wouldn't root for me. So, but I would say that it is filled with surprises. I mean, so these characters, you're introduced to them and, like, the government is immediately taking away. Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the very beginning of the show, like, we're yeah, just, just opening also, shot. <laughs> opening shot. Also, in general, we probably will make reference to right. So you should watch season. it. So just pause it. Pause right now if you haven't watched it. Yeah. Go ahead. Pause. Pause this podcast. And we'll see you in about four days after you've binged it. Yeah, that's yeah. all it really takes, four days. No, it's super quick. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And what I love is that these characters are so heightened. I just have to say this now is I'm really bad with names. Oh, yeah. So Dan's dad is actually Eugene, okay? No, you're right. Eugene is Dan's dad. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So we know him and we know Catherine O'Hara from these like broad, absurd comedies. And to seeing them on television, they're just as broad, just as absurd. And we fall in love with them instantly just for to see what mess they're going to get into. And what I really love about this is that in order for these characters to find love, that they don't have to break that character that they've created to be something else like they don't have to change themselves it's like these people exist because you see it so often in sitcoms where it's like this is the funny character and now here's their love thing and like the tone shifts and it's like we don't need that they can exist they can be funny and also someone else can match them or just love them for the who they are because we love them for who they are yeah they don't need to be something different funny people can find love contrary to what a lot of funny people believe (laughs) They can find love. Contrary to what every stand-up has told you ever. <laughs> ever. It is possible to be funny and find love. We haven't done it. And but... it's also possible to find love and not be funny. Right. So right. what I do really love about this is that it is a love story between a lot of people. There's a lot of love stories within yes. the story. Mm-hmm. But it's a love story between classes and two different types of societies that exist in America and in this case, Canada, because that's where it's filmed. Uh, but like you get this very like highbrow family coming to this like very lowbrow town called Jits Creek. And we see this sort of trope of a storyline where, you know, they, they are taken out of the world and put into a different world. And the way that they get through is that they have to assimilate to that world. But what I love about this show is that they don't really assimilate. Everyone sort of agrees to exist in the, the mm-hmm. same space. Yeah. And I think that really helps 
with the main love story that we're going to find. Yeah. I really like what you said about that because I think so much of the power of the whole show, but especially the power of the love story of David and Patrick is, and I think I'm stealing this from Dan Levy. I'm pretty sure I heard him say this. This whole show is about the transformational power of love and the transformational power of being around good people. David in season one is still recognizable as David in season six. Right. He's just, there are ways in which he's grown, but he hasn't completely changed. And that's like why it's a television show and not a movie. Right. Because if it was a movie, we would see a completely different David at the end of the film. Yeah. Yeah. And I think why television is so addicting for people, we return because we want to see these same characters. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And we want to grow with them as much as we want them to grow. Right. Exactly, which is why we get so obsessed with them, which is why we have this podcast. (laughs) One of the other most powerful things about David and Patrick and their presence on television in general is that they get hailed as such a positive example of an LGBTQ couple in today's media landscape. Mm -hmm. In 2019, Dan Levy got the Davidson Valentini Award from GLAAD, which is about media representation. And they talked about how David is a pansexual character. Mm -hmm. And they talked about the David Patrick relationship. I mean, we could do an entire podcast about the history of queer representation in TV and where David and Patrick fall in right. to and that. But where do you it still give... needs to go. Right. I right. mean, the really the good thing that pops in my head is there has been gay characters or just queer characters, LGBTQ characters in television for forever. But they're normally portrayed and written for by straight people. And it's like the act of putting it on it has like a ripple effect down to the people who have never seen or experienced or lived with someone who is queer or in that community and it just sort of puts an idea that they are a performance or something Mm -hmm. and what i really love about this show when they do is they don't ever really talk about it it's never really a subject line except for maybe like the coming out episode right right i think dan levy said in an interview once he wanted there to be no homophobia in schitt's creek And so often I feel like characters, if they're not portrayed as a performative stereotype, as you're saying, a whole part of the plot is the homophobia they're experiencing. And that somewhat becomes their storyline instead of letting them just be happy or exist in the same way that all of the straight characters get to exist. And like nothing against the television shows that we've grown in love where you've seen that Mm -hmm. because for so long you just needed to educate. It's not enough anymore to just have a character who is gay. Like now we need a more vast landscape of representation. What I do love about it is that you see a lot of times in television shows because television is made primarily in LA and in New York. You get a lot of very pretty people on television. And so even more so, I know... Are you about to call them ugly? No, I'm not. I'm about to be like... And even more so, you get... Yeah, they are ugly. I'm just kidding. <laughs> they're, they're absolutely not. You, you get like a very stereotype of like this like sort of white muscular gay man mm-hmm. as what gay people are. And then... For all the young gay people growing up, it's like, well, that's what I got to be. That's right. what I got to be. Something like that. And then now you're just like measuring your biceps. And right, right, that's right. nothing I've done. But make it realistic. Make it real life. Gay people exist in all shapes and sizes and bicep sizes. Yes. Bicep sizes. <laughs> and then on that scale of really pretty to just ugly. Just they exist all the way over there. Oof. This show allows them to like fall in love in a way that they are the central romance. You know, like a lot of times I feel like gay characters are like the side romance, but we get to watch them 
fall in love in a way that is, like you were saying, important for the young gay kid who's only used to seeing a certain type of gay love. But it's also important for the people who have only seen that trickle down effect, who have only seen gay stereotypes now see characters that are the center of the story that are the main characters fall in love and be happy. And look, gay people can be happy. Queer people can be happy. They can. And they are in most cases. What I think is really cool about this television show is that for the first two seasons, we don't have it. We don't have that that love story. Yeah. And what's good about it is they take, they kind of place David in that sidekick role for the first two seasons where we do get like a little taste of it. But you know how you have in those television shows of will they, won't they? That's Mm -hmm. kind of like Ted and Alexis. Yeah, or Mutt and Alexis. Yes, like Alexis in general. And then we kind of see David come into a very naturally organic relationship yes. with someone that seems real. It exists. And then, I mean, not to spoil it or anything, <laughs> no, but it ends already, with them. No, we're spoiling it. We already gave them a chance. Right. It, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. But it ends with them. And yeah. it's like, that's the ending. It's, they are the Shakespearean wedding in the finale couple. I know. What a Shakespearean wedding, too. <laughs> Thank you so much. What a natural transition does very naturally into what we are talking about this week, which is David before Patrick, because as JP said, there are two full seasons of the show before Patrick is even introduced. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of rare for me because I'm very much into the love stories that are like, you knew from the pilot, it was always going to be this person, big, epic, will they, won't they, it's always been you love story. But we don't meet Patrick until season three. In a lot of ways, I think actually, thank God, David didn't meet Patrick in earlier seasons, um, which is what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I can't wait for the season three of my life. I mean, same. Whether you're familiar with the show or not, I think it's important to, you know, see yourself in in this Mm. podcast and in art in general. So we're going to go into our segment, Relatable Content. Oh, I love that. That came so naturally. I was going to tell you, you have to come up with something to do, but you did it. This is Relatable Content. So if you hear some of these things and end up thinking, oh my God, that's me, this might be some relatable content for you. Mm -hmm. You might be David if you've never had a serious relationship before. I know that sounded really mean as I said it. If you've never had a serious relationship before. (laughs) Which is fine. If you've never had a serious relationship before. Good for you. That's your that's good for you. Good for you. Don't take it seriously. Relationships are who has them. Don't memorize anything about anyone ever. Ever. Don't (laughs) until you have a ring on your finger. Because let me tell you, it sucks. You might be a David if you consider yourself an art appreciator. You might be a David if you've been burned before, both romantically and just in your friendships. You might be a David if you use dry sarcasm to deflect from your insecurities. Ooh. Oh, who does that? Right? Not me. <laughs> Not that's, me. That's trashy. Never have I ever done that. You might be a David if... You wouldn't necessarily call yourself a giver. I'm not calling you selfish. I'm just saying maybe we wouldn't call you a giver. You might be a David if black is always the color of your wardrobe, despite the heat. Always. Just despite it all. There are days where like Alexis is in full booty shorts and a tank top. David is in a full leather jacket. And to piggyback off of that, you might be a David if you have better taste than most people around you. You might be a David if you're a cancer. 
Okay, do you know this? I do know this. So this is from the from the Reddit forums. This is okay. It thank you to the Reddit forums for providing this information with me. But then I went back and I fact checked it, and it is proven. David has to give his license over, and someone has the license they used, and. Everything about this show is thought out. It wasn't like the prop designer decided yeah. that David's a cancer. Yeah. Like this was thought out. So they take a screenshot of the screen. They zoom in on the license and lo and behold, June 2nd. I don't know. I dated a guy who was really into astrology and it's affected me. Yeah, it definitely has affected you. Yeah, I know. I talk about it all <laughs> like, the fucking time now. Yeah. It's-, it's good because Katie was really into it too. So it's good that this role is being filled. So now that you know if you're David or you might be like, mm, that's this person in my life. Today is all about David before Patrick. Let's just start out. Who is David? Just not even romantically, not even in his relationships, just as as a human adult person. Who is he when we first meet him? Screaming. <laughs> Screaming when we first meet him. Screaming right away. <laughs> Screaming uh, and immediately judging and trying to put down people like, who does this job? immediately ridiculing people which is an energy you know part of like what what we love about him is that Uh, he's borderline karen i mean he's not doing anything offensive it is his home and it is all he knows how to he knows how to register a complaint right i would say exactly like he didn't need to be like let me speak to your manager he already went online and wrote a yelp review exactly exactly so regarding his professional life here's what we know Kind of. This here's what we've mm-hmm. gathered. He describes himself in one of the first episodes as being a gallerist. And we later find out that his parents in his galleries that he owned, operated, whatever it was, that his parents bought all of the art or arranged for all of the art to be bought. So we know that he's never had a job that's required real work. And I think that's a rich person thing. I also think it's a hot person thing, just to come for all the hot people out there but i think like in the way like we well i don't know if we know people like this just kidding we know plenty of hot people but in the way that people who are really rich are really hot it's that sense of everything's just always kind of worked out and they've never had to take real responsibility for anything or real blame for anything like that's part of how we meet david i don't know much about art i'm gonna be honest but what I do know is that you probably don't go from being a nobody in a nobody town to owning a gallery in New York City. No, unless you're very well connected. And, yes. Yeah. They re- he reminds me of the characters in the Greta Gerwig movie. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, ha, ha, Francis, ha, ha. No, Francis, ha. Yes, Francis Ha, the Francis people she ha. lives with in Francis Ha, who are like the Soho art people that don't really seem to have a job. Yes. That's who I think David is. Yes. It's still the fictional world, but I think it's a little less fictional. I think it's a little less. I mean, they, they, they totally exist. They exist in the, in the non-fictional world. I think a lot of his material attachments come from this surface level relationship he has with his parents at the start of the show when we right. first meet him. I mean, it's that classic rich kids' parents showed their love with extravagant purchases and like trips and stuff. And I think that's where he finds his love and his attachment. He comes and the first thing he says is like he needs a closet for all his clothes. Like these are his things that he owns. It's nothing about like the safety or the parents' mentality or anything about that. It's all about this expensive self-care routines, these lavish lotions that he's buying, all of this deep love. And it is a respect for these items that he owns. Yeah, kind of all he has. It's all he has. And it's kind of he probably, I am not a psychologist, but I think he's probably bought these items as like, this is what who I want to be. Mm, the, this mm-hmm. shirt is the person I am. Like a little manifesting. Yes, exactly. Like okay. a Like a mood board, but it is all of the things he owns. 
Right. And he could afford to actually. Yeah. That he, that he yeah. took with him. I'm yeah. always surprised. They got everything taken away from them, except for like the wigs. <laughs> except for the wigs and six seasons worth of clothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think there were like over a hundred wigs that Moira owned. Yeah, I would agree. Ironically, in terms of extravagant gifts, uh, Schitt's Creek was an extravagant gift. So, you know, in that way, thank God. Going back to what you're saying about not being a psychologist, I am not a psychologist either, but... You are a podcaster, I which a podcaster. is just right up there. For who's going to tell you about your life first? A psychologist and then a podcaster. And which one is cheaper? A podcaster. Because it's We come to learn that David is a super anxious person mm. and i think that kind of also maybe has something to do with the way he's so precious about his things and we see this eventually in a plot line with him and alexis when he's taking the driver's test and he's really really anxious about it and he talks about he was the one that would actually worry when alexa was you know in dubai or stuck in the back of a truck or wherever she goes but i don't think he's ever looked internally to solve those problems or see what that's all about i just say this to like say he's not just a spoiled rich kid like he has things going on too he has like some high three-dimensional character yeah layered 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 clothing layered emotions yes layered hair yes i mean he is a bit of a germaphobe and more so in the beginning, few, the first few seasons, we kind of lose it, the yeah. germaphobe. And he like deflects the touch of others, which is something I relate to. I'm not a bit of a germaphobe, but touch is weird for me. It's not my love language. And we actually do think... Oh, I fully think it's his love language. And that's so interesting that you point that out, because now I'm thinking about his physical performance in the first two seasons. And he is very like deflective. And he's, he and Patrick are like all... Oh, that's part of, I think, he the chemistry carries- that I love about them is that they're all over each other. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm, Well done. I also think a lot of that kind of deflecting Mm. comes from David being pretty fear-based, making a lot of his decisions out of fear, which I think is an interesting contrast to Alexis, who makes all of her decisions with no fear or no cons, like considering no consequences, whereas David is pretty obsessed with consequences. And so I think that makes him, when we meet him, you know, he is the more practical one. He is the more anxious one. He's the one who stayed in New York. And overall, I think he's someone who doesn't take risks professionally or personally, whereas Alexis is like the ultimate risk taker. But let's talk about, as a human being, how David grows. Okay, well, I think he actually grows 1.2 inches with the help of some hair gel. Bye. Uh, Just so dumb, so dumb, so dumb. Sorry. That was a dumb dad joke. And let's keep it because I honestly want to, you know, present a very honest, real self to everyone who's listening. And we want to appeal to the dads. Yeah, they deserve that. Okay. So... Let's talk about professionally. I actually think a big part of how we see him grow is through, this is going to sound trite, but through the blouse barn. Because when he first goes in there, let's look at the beats. Let's look at the beats of the blouse barn. First time he goes in there, he's super judgy, you know, ridiculing at, like he is when we first meet him and he calls the clothes skanky. Yeah. The term skanky, I mean, I don't really actually know if it has like a historical reference, but it just sounds, it sounds so funny. It's, it's a lot of um, hard, yeah, it's like hard the- sounds skanky. Skanky. 
<laughs> if I end up teaching at a theater school, we could make kids say skanky. Yeah, that skanky. would definitely be skanky panky, skanky panky, skanky panky, skanky panky. That would be like a word. Yeah, tongue twister. Tongue twister warm to warm up, you up. Warm up. And so then he goes back for a job interview as a brand manager at a high-end boutique. Then he has to deign to compromise a bit of his own taste and judgment to be a real adult and get a job. And I think that compromising his taste is probably something new for him. And yes, at the beginning, he does kind of steamroll Wendy and he ends up kind of bankrupting the store. But he does learn to kind of give a fuck about something, which I think is a new experience for him overall. Yeah, this is, uh, I think he uses the retail to explore. It's the first time we really see him caring about something other than himself. Yeah. And he comes in and it is a bit of a mess. I mean, we'll give him that. And it is, I mean, I wouldn't shop there. No, but it's like Forever 21. Yeah, like it's where fast you fashion. But now we're, it, it's, you know, that monologue that Meryl Streep gives in The Devil Wears Prada. Yes. And she's like, and it kind of comes down to that like little bin. Like that's the store she's referring, she's referring to. And he's. In whatever the, casual corner. That's the casual corner. It's Blast Smart. Whoa. Wow. We just got a doctorate. <laughs> We have a doctorate in pop culture now. Thank you very much. That was our thesis. <laughs> but I think, yes, we see him actually caring about something and using his talents to better someone else besides him. But I, what I do think he really does learn the most about it is it's not because at first he really tries to mold it into his vision. Right. Make it about him. Right. Make it about him. And that's when it backfires. And that's when it starts to bankrupt. And that's when it's like, that's not you're not that's not your audience that's not your crowd yeah. that's not the moment not your brand he learns i think the most from that job yeah to the point where eventually he he's the one who ends up kind of saving the day with wendy and i think this is a big for a lot of reasons ends up being like a big turning point for him when blouse barn australia comes in and tries to buy out blouse barn and wendy's gonna take the ten thousand dollar deal and david goes to the point where he like asks his dad if that's a good deal and his dad even tells him like yeah just take the money and then then even in the negotiations, it gets to a point where Alexis and Wendy are okay with the second amount of money that they were going to give them. And it's David who ends up fighting for what I assume is probably $100,000. Yeah, That's because he big. gets 40000 If he gets 40000 I think she overall gets 100000 for the Blouse Burn. What's funny is that she does come back later on, I know, like I know. season four or five or something yeah, like that. so good. And she really hasn't changed very much. She's, she's the same person. So part yeah. of it is like, maybe this wasn't David's fault at all. But I think that choice is so powerful in his character development because he was given every excuse not to do the hard thing. And despite people telling him basically like it's okay to take an easy way out on this he fights for what he knows to be right and he goes and he does research and he doesn't just do it for him i don't think he's expecting to get any money out of it he does it because it's the responsible thing to do and it's the human things to do and he feels like he owes it to wendy who he knows is going through a really hard time so i think that's huge that i guess that teeters on both professional and personal and i think if there was ever a spinoff of Shit's Creek, it would need to be Wendy to be like, how did she get $100,000 and then blow it to where she's back in the community center selling knockoff products off of a stand? I'm like, you guys got $100,000. She, she just puts her trust in the wrong people. Yeah. Which is what we're here to make sure that you all don't do. Yeah, don't be a Wendy. <laughs> don't be a Wendy. And also, you know, if he hadn't had that experience, I don't think he would be able to start Rose Apothecary, A, because of the money, but also just, I think 
the experience of being able to rise to the occasion and curate a brand and do make orders and do all these kind of harder things. Right. Like I think when he's applying for his business license, he's like, it's a general store, but it's also a specific store. I think what's really cool about all of that is it does lead up to this moment where he gets to meet Patrick. Right. And the good thing is, is like it, it teaches you, you know, to be selfish is fine for the right reasons. I mean, like if you're going to take that money and not use that 40000 to get your family out of here, but you're going to stay here and reinvest it back into the community you're in, make right. the life you're in better, then it comes and it, life gives you that love. You know, I think he is the one of the four of them as a family who is like, I think we need to save this money right. because everyone else's instinct. And I think just, David, at the beginning of the show, his instinct would have been to spend it yeah, immediately. Absolutely. Either to get them out or just like, you know, Alexa's like maybe like a quick vacay and they just get manicures. And that's a nice balance. Really growing up maturing. Speaking of maturing, um, let's talk about him romantically slash friends. Let's talk about his Pre-Patrick. growth in relationships pre-Patrick. So that's him as a human. And we all know humans like that who are kind of a mess. But um, somehow make it work. But they make it work. When they find the right mess around them that's even messier than them. You're, find your If you are a mess, find your blouse barn. And it, by fixing it, you too will fix yourself. Love that for everyone. Love that journey for everyone. I love that journey for everyone out there because if you're listening to this, you're a mess. Pretty much everyone who listens to this. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I'll cut that out. Okay, so let's talk about... You just got about... like 10 people who just put pause. pause. Switched over to the daily. Yeah, exactly. Let's re-listen to the daily today. <laughs> okay, let's talk about uh, where we find him romantically slash just in relationships in general, where we first meet David and how he grows. It doesn't take long before we realize he really... I think had no real friends in New York. Uh, Alexis makes a joke about finding all of his friends at casting calls. And then she also makes a joke about, did all your friends ditch you when you couldn't pick up the tab at the Waverly? And we get to it eventually, and I think we'll talk about it in a later episode. But we also know from what he tells Patrick that he's had no real lasting romantic relationships. And he's never said, I love you. And to do that like context clue thing, because Alexis is his sister. She could be dragging him for everything. But what makes it even more clear is that Alexis does get phone calls from people. Yeah. She does have someone to contact and he never is contacting anyone else. No one is worried where he is. No. Yeah. Yeah. So you do get the sense that he is pretty used by people. So I think that's kind of what makes him this defensive, judgy person at the very beginning who's unwilling to let anybody in. Yeah. And I don't really think he's cold. No. But I do think that he he's not Alexis or someone to come in with like a warm energy right away yeah he's like slow to slow to warm yeah slow to warm which is probably why him and stevie connect right away connect right away so even though he is kind of slow to warm he he does eventually warm Mm it's to a nice a nice lukewarm i feel like is where we find him Mm -hmm. when he meets patrick so what do you think how does he get there how does he grow in his relationships these first two seasons yeah i mean the big one for me is the barn party, the episode there where we see him socializing with people his own age. Because, but I think up until now, we don't really see that like social life. Yeah, I don't think we see David socializing often, except for, I think, to your point you just made, that party they go to at the very beginning where Alexis is like a social butterfly and mm-hmm. David doesn't want to be there. And he and Stevie just like, it's like one of their first bonding moments of them being really angsty at this party right but continue and the barn party is like we really do get to see david flirting for the first time which i don't know if you've ever watched a friend at a party flirting with someone else and you're like the way you flirt have you ever watched me flirting at a party 
<laughs> yes. Is it sad? No. I don't think I don't think I've ever seen any one of my friends flirting with someone and it's been sad and not tried to stay, like okay, walk good. in and be like I hope hey. you, maybe, so maybe not. Anyways, continue. David's socializing at the bard party. He's flirting. And then Jake surprises him and just gives him a kiss. And then what I think is fascinating about us as a society is that it's easy for us to accept a woman is bisexual. It's harder for us to accept that a man is bisexual. Totally. Yeah. Like we love to put it on a on a label. And so when Jake does it and then immediately sort of is like, I'm a really open guy. So why don't you just like come visit me later on? It's like, oh, okay, something's here. But I don't think like I remember watching that and being like, this isn't going to be the one. This isn't serious. The guy just said, I'm open to it. Like, Yeah, I don't think it was. And just like their chemistry was never, you know, that like spark. But I think you're right. And then it does open David to like, maybe there is a world in which I have romantic experiences here and can explore that part of myself in Schitt's Creek beyond Stevie. But let's take it back and talk about the whole uh, how we get there with Stevie, because I do think I think I think that there would not be a Patrick relationship without Stevie, because I think Stevie teaches David so much about how to open up and how to learn how to be a real person for somebody else. So just give him a brief little recap of the plot. They first meet and they immediately have a connection. One of my favorite Stevie lines is, uh, I'm only doing this because you called me rude and I take that as a compliment. Like that to me is if there was like a sparks flying friendship moment, I think that's it for them. I think that's how they find each other. Um, You could call them kindred spirits, I think is the term, because they hate most everyone around them. So in season one, there's a scene, there's an episode where they get really high and they end up sleeping together. And the next day is awkward, uh, but they decide to continue on and do a sort of friends with benefits things. And then that gets complicated when Stevie ends up sleeping with the um, handyman guy. And David gets jealous about it. So they call it off because they're like, you're my only friend. I don't want to mess this up. But then at the end of season one is when Stevie tells David she can't go to New York because he just wants to go as friends. But she has real feelings for him. But then by season two, she's over it and they continue on as friends. So what's your general take on the Stevie briefly lived romance? I think it's essential for David to have gone through in order to find Patrick. We've talked about that. And I think you have like three pillars in your life in order to make you like a whole person. You got like your friends, you got your family, and then like you've got your lovers or whatever. And he didn't have any friends. He had like, I would say the only person in his family was Alexis. Yeah. And that relationship (laughs) grows and it's like barely there, right? (laughs) And then he makes this Stevie thing, which I think he doesn't know where does she fall on that pillar like is she the friend or is she the lover and i think that they both have to go through it because you do watch it and it's for a brief moment i think you as a viewer see it and you're like is this going to be the are they aren't they going to be a thing which i will have to say when i first was watching it i was like oh cool it's going to be a mixed orientation relationship and then you and at the same time i was like that's so stupid though like why does he why can't he be with someone I get why it happened because they do have such instant chemistry as friends, especially on Stevie's end, because she's in this town. She's been there forever with no prospects. 
And finally, someone comes to town who's different and exciting and hates everyone just like she does, who really gets her. And I think when when she learns he is pansexual through the amazing wine metaphor, I think that opens her up to the possibility and it opens her up to this way of thinking about the relationship in a way that she hadn't before. And then I think once she can fantasize about it for in her head it's kind of like off and away and I understand this because I think I am like Stevie in this way and it's I think a misinterpretation of Stevie because we see her as more of a realist and more down to earth but I actually think she's hugely romantic because she does the same thing when the motel guy comes. the motel guy comes yeah. in town and she creates this whole you know she gets really invested really quickly and that's not what it is for him and she gets heartbroken so i get it because i too i'm like stevie is once someone is an option i'm like oh great this is it and we're gonna move to new york together Me and be in love and it's too. gonna be great this is my ticket out i know you are like that and you come across like you're not i come but across you like are. i'm not and only my close friends ever see it I get Stevie on that matter. And I really do see her fall hard for like, I think she just desperately doesn't want, she wants to belong, but she doesn't think that she probably does belong here. But I do think that she really loves the town. I think she was just looking for something to fulfill her or complete her in a way. And I think she thought it was David. And then she thought it was the motel guy. And it, end, it ends up being her career that fulfills her. But I think that's a part of why she gets so invested in David romantically so quickly yeah i what i do think is nice about the relationship is that they play to purely speaking from my experience and the people i know in my life is that most gay men find a girl who is like there they get each other like they are kindred spirits just like this and there might be at the very beginning if maybe for me if i hadn't come out or whatever like there might have been this like are we something else are we like is this like tension that i'm feeling sexual or whatever is it sexual? it's definitely not and i love that they explore it it's not that i think on tv shows you like will and grace and in girls it happens multiple times where the gay character explores being what straight is like and but i do like that they don't be like he's gay he's pansexual right. so it's like it's not a dishonest to the character it is really what the character is and I think Stevie could have been a guy and we could have seen the same thing. Stevie could have been a trans woman or trans man or anything and we would have seen the same thing. Yeah. And I think what is really cool about their characters is that you do see them and they're like, I think Stevie stands right next to to David, whereas Patrick stands across from him. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying, though, in that like Stevie and David, because they're so kindred spirits, like there would be no... Patrick C. ends up being able to see David better, I think, right. because he's not so tangled up in the same issues that David has. And Stevie is has a lot of the same issues and outlooks that David has. Yeah. It's like when you meet someone's significant other and you're like, you guys are too similar. Yeah. And then you're like, in your mind, you're like, I don't know if that would work. Like, And then they just sort of spiral into the sameness and then they ends up not working. And you're like, oh, yeah, I was right. I was right. Called it again. Called it uh, yet again. Yeah, because you do need somebody, you know, you need someone to challenge you a little bit. Okay, but re, re the Stevie-David relationship real, real quick. Let's do um like a quick aside talk about friends with benefits and if it ever works we to be clear we could do a whole episode on this yeah. and i'm sure some couples will force us to if i ran I just, a college it would be one of the courses 
Friends with benefits. Is there benefits to friends with benefits? One on one. I think that I have never seen or experienced a true friends with benefits in the term where we are both friends and we have benefits. I think it is like two, it's like a Venn diagram and there are two circles. One is friends and one is lovers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> lovers. And that little area that they combine is really small. It's like one of those circles will pull you back. Will pull you back. Yeah. You'll either become better friends Friends. or you'll become better lovers. Exactly. Yeah. My my, um, take on it is I think you can be friendly with benefits, but I don't think you can be friends with benefits. Friends being defined as like knows your mom's profession, would pick up a random FaceTime from you comes early to the party to help you set up friend. I don't think those will ever really work with benefits. I would agree with that. And I do think as an outside person in your life, Mm. I have Mm. seen you go through that. Just as I'm sure you've seen me go through that. I've seen you like uh, have that moment where a friend becomes a little bit more, but then it either goes back to that or that friend is gone. Yeah, no. Uh, I, in, in fact, again and again and again and again, it happens again, to me. And sometimes we're like, I've been here before, right? <laughs> I've done this. Why haven't I learned? I recognize that tree. I think that I do not know. But what I've seen as like someone looking at the heterosexual dynamic is that I think that happens less frequently in the heterosexual dynamic than does in the gay world. I think. Gays, because we have grinder, we have things that are just so explicitly for hooking up, you do become friends with people that you've had sex with, or you have sex with people who were your friend, but then when you see them, it's just like a casual friendly like you're talking about i see that as way more common way more acceptable than i see yeah in the heterosexual i think world. it was straight you know straight people are just so fucking dramatic so dramatic like, you guys complicate it all complicate it all and like uh, we're generalizing everybody we recognize that but i think as a woman something i do what i just said i did and it's like create a whole narrative behind it and straight dudes try to hide whatever narrative is having in their head right right and even 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 if I don't want to be more than friends, men will almost always assume that straight girls want more. And then they have to get super defensive and off-putting to, like, shut that down. And then that just makes it complicated. Right. And I love watching a straight boy, like, was it flounder? Flounder over, like, what he's got to do now that he's had sex with this girl. He's like, uh, like, I don't want it to get weird. What do I do, bro? And I'm like, first of all, you take the word bro out of your conversation when you're having a conversation with me. Secondly, like, what is she doing yeah. to make it weird? You want to see a man flounder? I, I could show you a few. I could take you to an aquarium. Anyways, anyway. back to Shit's Creek. Stevie and David eventually do end because of as you said the friendship grows and they kind of have this i think it's this combination of you're my only friend so maybe we shouldn't mess this up and my thing on that is if you are supposed to be with that friend it eventually will happen if that's the person you are supposed to be with and you do have romantic chemistry and friendship chemistry with like you'll come back around to that person and i think what stevie and david learn is that their chemistry is not romantic chemistry I agree. Do you believe in fate? Oh, wow. You just, I, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I know a lot of people who, who say they don't, but I think deep down they do. And I think that if, like, it's so true. If you were meant to be with this person, it would be so obvious. And it would happen. The only friendships that have turned into real dating relationships, they happen so naturally and organically that not both of us, there wasn't a convincing yeah. 
Right. You, I, you just, you should never have to convince anybody anyone. to fall in love with you because you deserve to be with somebody that wants to be with you as much as you want to be with them, which is so great. Cause then I think when David and Patrick do meet, it is kind of so obvious from the beginning to me. And that's what I love about it. So let's talk about what we think David learns from Stevie in general. How long was the show on? How many years? It's six seasons, right. but it might have been five years. Mm. You know how sometimes they yeah, like yeah. do a different season starts? I should know because I read this thing that was, I read this thing online. Um, I read this thing online that was like, you once you hit seven years with someone, they will become a lifelong friend. It's like way oh. easier for... Wow, we still have time to mess it up. I creepy. know, we do. I think overall, the overall thing he learns to do is he he learns what actual friendship entails in that it it's more than transactional. Someone can do favors for you and go out of their way for you without needing something from you in return. It can just be because they care about you. So then when Stevie's aunt dies and she's left with all this paperwork and all this, you know, stress, he's able to recognize like someone I care about is going through something and instead of running away from it he learns how to really show up for her and take action and i think that's something new that has you know never existed for him before in his friendships or relationships and i think that's something that she taught him she doesn't really make it terribly easy for him to do it either which i um appreciate yeah and i think that is you learn through the awkwardness the uncomfortability and you show up for your friends. You realize, I mean, you, we've all done those things where you do something and you look back and you're like, wow, that was really big of me. <laughs> I'm amazing. <laughs> I'm such a good friend. I did that I for said you. that to them. That was such good advice. Yeah, you know, when your friend's like, do you remember what you told me, yeah. you know, at this party, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, mm. I said that? <laughs> you're like, wow, writing that down. It's like that part in Schitt's Creek where Roland and uh, Johnny are high and Roland says something d- profound. And he goes, who said that? And Johnny goes, you did. <laughs> all right. So David goes through all this growth romantically, you know, in his friendships, professionally. Why do you think it's important to be a full developed human before you're in a romantic relationship and have you ever dated someone who is a David or have you been in a relationship where you're not a full functioning adult? human yeah yes 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 and yes um all of the yeses a thousand times so you need to be a full-grown fully developed human in order to be with another full-grown developed human because after that you're sort of i feel like when you're not those relationships that you're in when you're really young you're sort of molding each other and then you kind of wake up one day and you're like i've been doing this one thing for so long that isn't me it's like i don't really like sriracha why do I put sriracha on everything? Oh, that's because my lover puts sriracha on everything or tells me I think I like it or whatever. I mean, I, I love sriracha, so no shade to there. But you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you have to really know yourself and stand up straight and be able to stand on your own so that you can stand with each other. It's like you don't need to be leaning on one of each other because once one gets weak, you fall to the ground. Yeah. I think building relationships are not dissimilar to what it's like to build a pyramid. And if self-actualization you know, hashtag wellness, hashtag goodness, hashtag well and good, surrounded by plants in your brownstone with your dog and your partner hosting people for a Sunday afternoon barbecue on a bright May day or something, you know, like that is the top of the pyramid. Oh, I see it for you. I really do. <laughs> Thank you so much. If that is what you're striving for, then base layers would be like, you know, financial support and environment. And then maybe it's healthy friendships and having a support system. And then 
the next highest level is having a sense of purpose and drive. Um, you know, it's a work in progress. But I think in general, if you try to enter a relationship without building these levels of the pyramid, then um, it's going to collapse. It will. You know? But what I think I've learned, work. too, is like when I don't know what it is that I want in my life and what I want to achieve and all these other goals that I have. If I don't have like a clear stance on what that is, it is so easy for me to take on someone else's clear goal as my own. Like, I'll be like, I see that for you. I love that for you. And I want to make that happen. And then I put way too much energy on doing that. But then I realize my whole energy is not going to what serves me. Right. You are, as you were saying, like becoming part of that person. You're, be you're becoming part of the pyramid, if you will. You're like trying to bolster the pyramid with with stray rocks and random pieces of wood that you just nail into a flat to try to keep and it that's together. Tacky. That's tacky. That's skanky. And it's skanky. That is some skanky behavior. And unsound construction. Yes. <laughs> Definitely not to code. Anyway. Anyway, okay. So that's on um dating a David or being a David. And so you David. And ew, that David. was our segment on ew, David. I'm not dating you anymore. Well done. Great. So we're going to wrap up today's episode with a new segment. An ew segment. Okay, <laughs> goodbye. And we're done. I'm quitting. I've been kicked off. Katie, come back. So to wrap up this episode, we're going to do a new segment called Concerned Co-Star. And what this is based off of, you know, when you're watching a TV character have some sort of, you know, like coming of age arc and they'll have a random interaction with a character who only exists in that episode and purely exists to give them advice or to say something about them that makes them change their ways. Like a friend from out of town comes or a wise aunt or a friendly bartender or a stranger who gives them a ride home. Or a hooker. Or a hooker. A hug over the heart of gold. We're here today to um, recreate that and write what that co-star would be saying. This is our chance to share our words of wisdom. And it's also a chance to show off our, our, our spec script writing abilities. <laughs> Just yes. kidding. I don't have a spec script, but JP does. We're going to do this occasionally today. I will go and I'm doing my concerned co-star. And you're so, giving it to David. Yes. So this is what I would say to David. Here's the scenario. There's been a sample sale of some kind, say in, in Elmdale. Um, and so David obviously has to go and he and once he's there, he meets some kind of fabulously dressed, prickly older woman who's maybe a little drunk. And I want you to think like a healthy combination of Christine Baranski and Helena Bottom Carter. Oh. And what a combo. Um, they, you know, exchange some snarky remarks with each other and it's kind of like a game recognizes game a moment and then they get a little in a little scuffle at the sample sale over an item of clothing and they're both sent to the back to the office or whatever to wait for the police to come and this is this is the conversation that they would have okay ready i'm a little drunk so i have to get into my my drug impediment i was just like you when i was younger i was funny i was fabulous i put everyone in their place the moment i saw them you know why i did that because it was easy it was easier to be the disinterested sarcastic diva who was better than everyone i didn't care about anyone else i didn't learn anything about anyone else i still don't know my father's name 
But let me tell you, I don't think you're going to end up scared like me. I think you're braver. I mean, look how you mixed those prints. And scene. 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 Wow, you know guys. what? I thought you were actually, I know you, you gave it a casting, but I think Leslie Mann. That's who you were oh, giving. Oh, I like that. Yeah, Leslie Mann is that character. I see it. She always plays like a little bit drunk. Her vibe is just like a little, a bit, little drunk. bit drunk. Um, so that's what Schitt's Creek would be like if it was overwritten and on the nose. On but the no- we're trying to simplify. We're trying to distill knowledge here. And so that's what we've done with this. Um, because I do think uh, that's how David's operating is that he's a bit scared. I think so. And they uh, didn't, he didn't change in, in a snap the way he would have with this um, brilliantly written, written yeah. speech, I think. Uh, they give him two years to change, um, but he does. And so then when Patrick is introduced next episode, he is, he is ready or more ready than he would have been, I think. Yeah, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. So that's all we have for you for now. Next episode, we'll be talking about meeting Patrick, the initial flirtation, and how the romance begins to blossom. We will see you next week. Oh, it'll come out on your birthday. <laughs> my birthday, everyone. We're going to have a birthday celebration. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So, so you, you have to tune you in. You have to tune you have in. To tune in. You it's have my to birthday. say you like him. It's his birthday. He's a cancer, so he's very sensitive. Okay. That's it. Bye-bye. Okay, thank you so much for listening, everyone. This has been Talking Ship. If you had a nice time, we would be so grateful if you could rate and review the podcast. We're still a pretty new show, so those stats really do help us out. Thank you so much to JP Maddock for being my wonderful co-host this season. You can follow him on social media at jpepe. That's J-A-Y-P-A-E-P-A-E. You can find the podcast on social media too at Talking Ship Podcast for all kinds of content and updates. And if you'd like to follow me, I'm at OnlyMegan815 on all the platforms. That's Megan with no H. No H. Talking Ship is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one network for professionals. So thank you to the whole team there for helping make this show happen. And thank you to Chris Meisner for composing our theme music that you're currently listening to. And that will fade out now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.